Well, hello, friends, and welcome into Rates and Barrels right here on The Athletic. I am Chris Welsh, who you can find on Twitter. That is Eno Saris on Twitter at Eno Saris as well. Look at us. We are here today to talk to you about some prospects. It's Project Prospect, if you will. Uh, we are going to be talking about guys that were optioned but not counted out. There's also some still in-camp surprises that we've got to get to you. So lots of prospect talk, even though we're in like a weird space of time before prospect things are going to really kick off because there's all these minor league things going on. Plus, Mr. Eno Saris, how about an incredible WBC game that we had last night where Japan came back and now we are getting Japan versus USA tonight as we are recording this. I am pretty excited, my friend. Yeah, yesterday was such a back and back affair, back and forth affair that I was just uh, it was just really fun and riveting. I thought all the way to the end, uh, just looking at Shohei Otani celebrating on second was uh, just another example of how you know into it these players are. I loved Randy Rosarena mean mugging after oh. he stole that uh, homer. I loved him signing autographs while the game was on. Uh, Let me ask you something. What is more iconic in your mind, the the and uh, the Adam Jones catch or the uh, Randy Rosarena mean mug? Uh, I think the actual play uh, goes to Jones because he was further up and 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 stole you know more likely a homer. Randy's was somewhere in between a double and a homer and not quite as high in the air. But the 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 mean mug, the celebration afterwards goes to oh, Rosarena, and uh, we were joking about it because. The kids are in little league, and uh, and uh, you know my uh, my younger son. Uh, just an update on him because he's the, the troll son that was rooting for Cuba the night before. Uh, was rooting for Japan last night, and uh, we went uh, cleat shopping. He bought white cleats, so just a little bit of a of uh, a window into his personality as well. Uh, so he really loved the Randy Rosarena stuff, and I did have to point out that maybe his coach doesn't love him as much as other people he's out there he's out there in cowboy boots and a sombrero uh during uh shagging flies uh it, i don't know uh, maybe his coach loves him uh his coach probably loves the production uh but uh like a yeah. little league coach would not love my kid uh running around in cowboy boots in the outfield <laughs> so i didn't realize the level of troll not just japan but also was going for cuba so this is just a pure like the un it's kind of an underdog maybe not even just a troll he's an underdog guy no you know, it's seen. the rest of the family is rooting for this and i'm gonna root for this other thing <laughs> all right that's a, that's a child that's a true child yeah. like, oh, what do you guys want no, i don't want that yeah I'll tell you one thing. It was pretty easy to root for Japan watching Roki Sasaki last night. It was real. I mean, getting eyes on like full game action really put into perspective so much of what this guy was all about on paper. The stats didn't necessarily like jump out. It was four innings, three earned runs. He gave up a Homer, big Homer Deleuze Urias and uh, only three strikeouts. But behind the scenes, you really saw everything that this guy was about hitting one Oh two. And I had this audible like where I was like, okay, like when he threw this 92 mile an hour splitter that had preceded the 102 fastball, I was I thought it was like a slider because it had so much action. And it was really interesting, too, because he seems to be able to have different variations of that same split. He can do different stuff with it, which I thought was really sneaky. Kind of like how some guys will do, you know, a slider. Sometimes it'll bite. Sometimes it might cut down. Like he had different ways he could throw it, 
while pumping huge, huge fastballs, you know, so I was really curious on your take of what you saw out of Roki Sasaki. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, it was just, uh, just, a just, a just a, like a, like a, like a, like a, ah, you know, yeah. like it's, it's like, oof, what is this? You like know? someone dumping like cold water on you. You're like, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> what? Yeah. And, and then I, then like Luis Arias took a splitter deep and I, and I had my inner Nick Pollock in my ear where he's, you know, he's, uh, he's over at pitcher list and he, he talks about uh, pitchers not really being able to com- command the, the splitter uh, just because of the way you're gripping it is, you know, there's, there's, it's coming off your weaker fingers or it's coming out from between two fingers. It, I, I, I agree with him. It's probably not a pitch you can command that well. I generally uh, don't think pitchers command all their pitches as much as, as they throw them hard and towards large areas. <laughs> so, so I'm generally more pro splitter than he is. There's also the risk of injury that people talk about with splitters, because um, if you actually hold a ball, if you really widen your fingers like this, you'll feel your flexor tendon. If you just feel by your, at the bottom of your elbow, uh, you'll feel there's a tendon actually that you can maybe see it sometime. Right um, and the flexor tendon is part of a group of, mu- of, of, of ligaments uh, and tendons that that um, that protect your that protect your UCL. So the the idea is that if you do that too much, you're activating a muscle that would otherwise be protecting your UCL. I don't know if I believe that. It makes a little bit of sense intuitively, but I don't think it's been really proven. There has been, of course, a link between high velo and and stress on the elbow. That is directly proven. Well, and so watching you know, him if you last want night to wait for Roki Sasaki in your fantasy league for four years uh you may have to wait through a TJ or, or something I mean I'm not I'm not predicting that I'm just saying throwing that hard is stressful on your arm that was one of the first comments I saw because you know I, I put a tweet out about the fastball and the splitter and having to wait on him and one of the first things was he's gonna it's gonna be really great once you can get him post Tommy John because like I don't necessarily disagree watching him. His total arm action is it's uh it's not violent at all. It's just there's a lot of like things that are going on with it that don't seem he can repeat it, but it seems like, oh, you're putting a little bit extra stress on the arm in general, plus you're throwing 102, plus you got a splitter, which you're talking about might be a little bit more prone to injury. All those things kind of don't feel great long term, but he's a 21 year old kid. Maybe it never happens. Maybe if it does, it happens early. That's the selfish way we could all look at it before he gets to the majors. But yeah, on camera, I have a baseball here. I was trying to do it. Yeah, the splitter doesn't really feel good. I don't know how I'm supposed to, I don't yeah. know how these guys can do it. And some, like and some guys don't even have the hands for it. I mean, that's what Galax Cobb was telling me. He was telling, he's teaching his pitch to everybody and some guys just didn't have the hands for it. But, you know, uh, uh, also, you know, some more news about tonight. Um, uh, Shoto Imanaga is actually starting uh, tonight, and that was a revelation from our first uh, show this week that he led the the WBC in Stuff Plus uh, when I ran that stat. Um, that's not the full sample of everybody, but uh, it's still an eye opener. And the fact that they chose him over you, Darvish, another eye opener. And then the bonus was from our Monday show, 29 years old. Uh, and I believe from checking his contract status, a lot of it was in Japanese. Some of it was translated for me. I believe he's been signing like one-year deals. And if that is the case, we could see Shoto Imanaga next year. Apologies for acting like I had stumbled upon Yoshinobu, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. He's a known entity in your, your open university leagues. He's probably gone. Um, he is in mine. 
Uh, he's going to post next year. I think he will immediately become a top 50 pitcher, just as I had Kodai Senga this year. Um, uh, so I, that's not a, a big gem for you. But in my apologies for Yoshinoma Yamamoto is a reaffirmation that Shoto Imanaga could come as close as next year because he's 29 years old um, and uh, that he could be the kind of sneaky good acquisition. And he is probably actually available in your open universe league. So still got you some something good there. And there's going to be some fun tonight because Imanaga is on this list. It's a little bit of a, a, a nod towards how Stuff Plus says that shapes can be as important as Velo because Imanaga does not throw 100 like Sasaki. You know, he's he's a much more modest Velo. But it's just really good shape on the fastball. And I think uh, the secondaries, uh, are, you know, really stand out. So that could be a type of pitcher that, uh, that uh, you know, a good scouting team uh, that's, that knows everything about the rim or just watches tonight. You know, he, got, he could pitch his way into an American contract tonight. It's a good point. And also, we might see them go him to Darvish to Otani. That might be the mm-hmm. three run we see tonight. They're being so. kind of cagey with the Otani availability. Uh, you know, if they want me, I, I'm available, you know, but, you know, I don't know. There's something something sort of cagey about his. I, I wonder if they're playing games, a little bit of gamesmanship there, and he's not actually available. There's all these rules yeah. that we are not access to that come from their teams. The exactly. Angels can say Otani can't pitch tonight. And that might be done with last thing on Sasaki real quick, just looking at his numbers. One thing I don't think I realized, and it was probably because the different movement that was going on with the splitter and how he was manipulating it. Like I said, the first one I saw almost looked like a slider that bend out and he could just push it around and push the fastball. But in that game, he was theoretically a two pitch pitcher. He threw 40, uh, where did it go here? 45% fastball, 47% slitter, uh, splitter, which left a 8% slider. So it was essentially I did a see a couple pitcher. of those 87 miles an hour. Uh, didn't look like he had great command of it. It didn't have an amazing shape, but at 87 miles an hour, it's probably a good slider too. I, you know, if he comes to America, I wouldn't be surprised that they up the slider usage. A five he threw, he did get two swings and one whiff on it. Pretty crazy numbers as well. He had 33 swings on his 64 pitches, 12 of which were whiffs, and uh whiff percentage of over 50% on both the splitter and the slider. And the CSW percentage of 43% on the splitter, 30%, uh, 31% on the fastball. Just like absurd numbers across the board. But yeah. it's really interesting to see him being like a two-pitch pitcher. Electric stuff. But repeating again, we will not see him until 2027 because I cannot see a scenario. Even or though six, the- like because they would post him for money. So maybe well, six or five. Maybe they feel like they get more money if they post him in six or five. Well, but he's not eligible to to break oh, he has the, to be. the rookie restrictions. See, that's the problem. Is like I even heard the broadcasters trying to push like we got to find a way to get him over here. The only way to get him over is to change the rules because if you're under 25, you are eligible to the international restrictions, and you just can't imagine a guy like it's this, just, especially their teams, would allow him knowing the money they are going to get back by posting. It's crazy. It's just a it's a it's a false restriction on. I mean. If you're a, a prospect in the minor leagues and you're 24 years old, you're barely a prospect, man. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like if you're still in the minor leagues, you know, there's some guys that that, that have that designation, but I, I would I would change that rule. Make it 23. I would too, 21. 20, it should be 21, 21 and up, you're open. Because also on the international side, how many guys do we see that are under or that are over 21 even sign big international deals? We don't. Um, Luis Robert that, was under That's 21. the whole, right. The whole idea, the whole idea behind the Astros pitching staff is that those guys were old. For, and and they did sign at 21, but they got $5,000 and $10,000, you know, Javier, uh, your yeah. you know, Fromber, they, they got small bonuses because they were too old and they were too old at like 19, 20, 21. <laughs> yeah. O- Oscar Colas, same thing, waited out, but it's still, I think it was under 21. Um, Luis Morales just signed with the Oakland A's. He's probably the oldest guy in this international class that just signed out of Cuba. 20 years old. So I don't know why we don't have a 21 year old deal and above. And that would help. That would kind of bridge that gap for international guys. And it you know must be Japan. It must be Japan. It's like, got to be the only place. Japan. The only place where there are high dollar guys between 21 and 24 <laughs> is Japan. And it's, you know, it's bad business for baseball. Like the best thing you could do is bring Roki Sasaki to the MLB right now. Well, it would be great for business for NPV. Maybe they'd lobbied baseball to change that number. There's a possibility. That's interesting. Okay, so uh, WBC, USA, Japan tonight. We know who Eno's kids have written for, but the rest of us... I'm rooting for Imanaga just because I'm rooting (laughs) for the stuff plus. (laughs) I mean, I want to see him be good. I I have a team future on USA, so I'm uh, I'm definitely team USA. Oh, really? Not for obvious, if not for (laughs) obvious reasons. By the way, I got a little skin in the game here, so I'm going for Team USA for outside of. Well, it helps when you put uh, Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer in the lineup. My God. Goldschmidt, Arenado, Betts, Trout. If only that yeah. pitching staff was better. But hey, uh, my local Merrill Kelly going to be uh, doing the starting out there. I'm excited about that. All right, let's get into Project Prospect here. And there's a lot of different ways we've been attacking prospects. We've been looking at them from the perspective of really interesting names for redraft. We've talked first year player. We've done that. We're now in that bridge gap period where spring training has a week left. Triple A is going to start in about a week and a half. Double A will double A and down is going to start in two weeks. The season's just about here. So teams have been sending guys down and we've had some disappointments. We definitely a couple of disappointments um, uh, on my side as well from a couple of players. So first up here, these are option prospects, but not counted out. And the idea behind this is yes, they were optioned, but how far are they really going to be away? And I'm going to start it off with a guy that I did bring up yesterday because the news was a little bit fresh. But Brandon Fott with my Arizona Diamondbacks. Brandon Fott had a 3.75 ERA, which was better than Ryan Nelson, better than Dre Jamison. He was the best of those starters. 15 strikeouts in 12 innings, and he had a one whip. It really wasn't even close. And I thought he was going to get that gig. Dre Jamison, maybe to the bullpen. But the Arizona Diamondbacks option Brandon fought out. Dre Jamison is still in the hunt. It's, this is a Nelson or Dre Jamison gig here. But, you know, I'm curious at how long do you think Brandon fought is really out for? I know we briefly talked about this yesterday and that, like, I don't think this is going to be for too long. And how many struggles will the team really sit on? But he's option, but I just don't know if it's for too long. So talk to me about Brandon fought and overall what you thought about his spring. I don't remember maybe it was weeks and weeks ago you were kind of breaking down some of his stuff compared to nelson and them but what do you think about brandon fought i think he's probably pretty close but i wonder how he's what's the you know what's the 
you know, I always, what's the corresponding move? You know, because you've got, you've got a roster, you know, and you, and you don't teams for the most part, don't want to lose anything off their roster, any potential value. They want to, they want to sneak it in. So a real easy way for Fott to come up is Bumgarner goes on a long-term IL, right? Because long-term IL, you open up basically a roster site, a 60 day DL, you open 68 day IL, you open up a roster spot on your 20, on your 40 man roster. Boom, Fod is in, uh, and he comes up, and that's a, that's an easy sort of aha. That's the corresponding move. But what if Davies is just kind of poopy? Do you just drop him? Do you move him to the bullpen, and then you have to drop somebody out of the bullpen? They're trying to you know put together a bullpen that can be competitive. They've, you know, Justin Martinez needs a roster spot if he's going to be in this bullpen. He throws a yeah. hundred miles an hour, and that's exciting, but. You know, if you put him on the roster spot, you got to drop Juris Familia or, you know, somebody. Castro. Yeah, no, they do have a lot of names they brought in. Yeah. So it's always about the corresponding move. And I'm not I'm just not sure what it is yet. And they don't want to give up on Ryan Nelson. And I think his last start uh, showed you that Ryan Nelson still has it in him. I know it was uh, Colorado, but Colorado's lineup is improving. Um, And uh, he got six strikeouts against one walk. And four hits and four and two thirds, like looked as good of a tune-up as you could expect out of him. Um, and so I, I still think I know the doubt is creeping in, but I still think it's Nelson's job. And uh, I just wonder what the corresponding move is for Fott. I mean, maybe Davies is so bad that he's easy to release, or maybe Bum gets hurt in a way that, uh, like we we know exactly what's going to happen. So that's that's the use case. Um, but while you still have Merrill Kelly, Zach Gallen, Bumgarner, Davies, and Nelson and Jameson, I don't, if they're all healthy, I don't see how Fott comes up and just takes a job because it means they have to lose, a, they have to lose something off their roster. They just have to release somebody. Okay. So let and, me ask you uh, then. So you're this rooting is a, against Kyle Davies, uh, Zach Davies, I think, which is, uh, yeah, it's very easy to do. Um, and I, and you know, I can't imagine it's going to stay in the rotation super long and I think it'd be a better bullpen arm. Let me ask you this then. Brandon Fott, most really statistically prolific pitcher last year, puts up 167 innings, 167 innings mm-hmm. across two levels. 61 of those were in the PCL. And it's more than Davies put up last year. How much do the Diamondbacks and Brandon Fott benefit from him pitching in the PCL when he's succeeding? Like if he is out there in the PCL and he's performing well again, what benefit is it for them to keep him down if you have mediocre returns from Ryan Nelson and and Davies? So my, I'm just curious that like you're making great points about the bullpen, and everything like that. But what is the true benefit if he is your second or third best pitcher in your entire organization and he's killing it again? He's not learning anything down there. And I, I guess at the end of the day, you're talking about the expense of another player is maybe you just option Ryan Nelson and you bring him up. I just wonder how long they'll really wait and how long do you think they would hold him down? If Ryan Nelson struggles, yeah, that, I guess that's easy. But then you might have Dre Jameson, right? So that's, is there, yeah, is there the a pecking order? I mean, I, I, honestly, I'm actually looking a little bit at Madison Bumgarner's page right now because, you know, they've got this year and next year, right? So you open the season with him. But let's say he's got a four. He had a 4.88 ERA last year. He was actually with 0.5 wins, like a half a win in 158 innings, 
that's really close to replacement level for a starting pitcher. You know what I mean? Like all pitchers replacement level is much lower than that, of course, but for a starting pitcher, do you know that the, the, the average fifth starter is like one and a half wins, right? And so what point point five, he was a half a win. So in 2021, he was a win and a half. That's a fine fifth starter. But last year he dropped his strikeout rate even further and he had the second worst swing strike rate of his career. And he had the one of the worst walk, home run rates of his career. So you add that all up and it, it adds to barely uh, being any good. Like Fott could be better than Bumgarner this year. Uh, would be better. Would than, be. Yeah. And so you start. So, yeah. So if he starts out, if Bumgarner starts out and does the, the same sort of thing um, in, in, you know, in this year, well, then it's not then you don't like you don't he doesn't have any trade value right he doesn't have you're not like you'd have to actually attach a prospect to get rid of the money right yeah the old bronson arroyo trade right and so and i don't think they're in the in the in the um business of doing that uh so let me see here i'm gonna look what do you think is more important to them real quick what do you think is more important what they're gonna stare at the financials or the analytics of like fifth starter versus you know replacement value is that more important or is it going to be the financials for you know maybe anybody you've spoken with with that well i mean the the financials here what i'm saying is it's a sunk cost you you owe madison bumgarner the money and so it actually becomes more about the analytics of his value like what do you think his value is so far this spring Six and a third with two earned runs, four strikeouts, and and four walks. It's borderline, man. If he's gonna if he's gonna walk, you know, one for every strikeout, then he's then they then you say, well, Fott is better. We owe Bumgarner the money either way. If and he's not gonna take a demotion to the bullpen, so no way. Vaya con Dios, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. A lot of people have brought that up to me, and I'm like, there is no chance in hell that he would take a demotion to the bullpen. He would rather stay home. There's He's no way he ever projected for less than a half a win by most of the systems. That's... He's projected to have a four nine five ERA basically collectively by all the systems. So, yeah. So okay, that's that's the use case for me. Baumgartner, okay. they give Baumgartner the first few starts, you know, two three, maybe the first month. And if he's got a four nine ERA and you know he's striking out six per nine and walking four per nine, why why you're not going to get any trade value out of him? You already own the money. Just, just say thank you for your services, man. May first, you think Ben Fott's up? That's I mean, if if Bumgarner's that bad, then yeah. So let's let and, and then you've got the is Nelson that bad? He gets optioned. You know, I think between those two, May 1st sounds reasonable. Yeah. I think there's a really good path for him to be back. And NFBC drafts since March 1st and draft champions, he still does have a 328 uh, ADP, a high of 268. That's going to have fallen more just due to him being optioned. Right. But I think you should keep him on. Uh, on One of the better role. prospects that should pitch in the big leagues this year should have innings. So yeah, should get real he, should be, he should be. Yeah, he should be mm-hmm. drafted in draft champions. Christian Encarnacion Strand. Of course, I come on here and talk about how I think he's going to break camp. He could, and oh. the Reds go, whoosh, they just cut it right I think off. there was like an awkward thing where we recorded, and by the time that we totally. published, he sent down. Yeah, it was, but if people don't know, too, like uh, I'm, I'm usually a very timely person. We are just in this space where we'll do the show. I go out to a camp. I come back, and I kind of finish up, and you're 100% right. And I was like, <laughs> razzle. I was like an uh, old uh, Looney Tunes cartoon. Razzle, yeah, razzle. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to make the cuts on it. Uh, this is after Incarnation Strand hit 577 in spring. Four homers, 13 RBIs, 
He had 15 hits in 26 at-bats. It's absurd what he did, but it just clearly showed you there was nothing that he could do because he did it. So they had made up their mind. The bigger question, though, to me kind of sits at, this is a guy that showed he was ready. He dominated at you know a spring high level with the majors guys. And this is a very injury-prone team. And you hate to look at Joey Votto, but Joey Votto coming back is perpetually injured. And one injury, Christian Encarnacion Strand is one injury away from being back on this roster, I believe. But he's optioned. Do you count him out for the rest of the year? No, I do not. Uh, I think one of the reasons that he is down is because Spencer Steer is also having a good spring. And I think that the this is a team that is trying to figure out who's here for the short term. Who can we pump up for trade value? Cough, cough, Will Myers. Who are who? You know who's here for the long term? Um, you know, I actually should maybe throw Jonathan India into that cough, cough. Actually, because <laughs> <And I>, <laughs> they they have a ton of second basemen. They keep drafting second basemen. You know, Jonathan India is aware of the situation. But uh, and who's here for the long term? So I think they want to know is Spencer Steer a starter in long term utility guy? Which is what is his natural position? Um, and so Steer is making the team. Kevin Newman is probably the best combination of offense and defense right now at shortstop, but he's a bit of a placeholder. So I expect him to lose his job at some point this season. Oh, God, it's so rude. Please, I hope <laughs> Kevin Newman don't listen to this podcast. Um, and then uh, and then there's something's going to open up, I think, in the outfield. Either they trade away Will Myers, um, you know, after he reestablishes some value. Nick Salzell gets injured. You know, Will Benson, um, Stuart Fairchild, Jake Fraley, TJ Friedel. They're going to sort through those guys, right? Yeah. And I, 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 when when Farhan Zaidi took over the Giants at the very beginning, they had this whole thing where they gave everybody like three weeks. They had remember they had like Connor Joe, like that's how they found uh, that's how they found Mike Yastrzemski. Uh, they basically just did a waiver claim, tried the guy for three weeks in the major leagues, and if he didn't do anything in three weeks, I mean. They, that's how it was. That's why Connor Joe is a giant for three weeks, and then he's ended up in other places. So um, I don't know that the Reds will move that fast, but uh, I would expect that everybody from Fairchild, Benson, Fraley, and Friedel, everybody gets some burn, and they kind of sort through those. Uh, Friedel and Fraley, I think, are my favorites out of them. Uh, but you could have Friedel, Fraley, and Myers in that outfield and still have an opportunity for uh, Encarnacion Strand to come up. So yeah. that's the soft places or the, the corner outfield, first base, DH, third base, if Steer goes somewhere else. So there's there's definitely opportunities. I'm not sure. I can't pinpoint one person and be like, he's going to take this job. But there is enough softness in that outfield depth chart. Uh, and, and then Votto, like, could he be traded uh, in the last year of his deal to a contender? You know, and then Encarnacion Strand comes up for first. That's also a possibility. Yeah, and that's where I that's why I would not count him out. Uh, number three on this list, actually, someone that you spoke to, you have some anecdotal stuff, was Addison Barger, Barger uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays, who Barger's really interesting. He was out here in the AFL, had a phenomenal year last year. It's pretty low in spring training or in uh, AFL, but uh, ended up hitting 294 with a homer, had 10 hits this spring. And I think there was just some thought with people that he might be able to break camp uh, sticking around for a little bit, but he's been optioned. Barger was just sent down like a day or two ago. But should we be counting him out for the short term? 
You know, it's probably a bad pick, but I took him in AL labor in my in my last reserve spot. Um, I'm just a little bit excited about a guy that has a fairly massive pull power. Uh, he's also just a uh, a poop brick house uh, uh, physically. <laughs> um, that's one of the, that's one of the things that people just say oh, that dude is yoked. You know, that's so he he kind of gives off that impression that he has a major league body already. Um, he's got some interesting fluctuating strikeout and walk rates, but I think, you know, I, that's what I asked him about. I said, you know, your, your walk rates have generally improved a little bit with each level as you've gone up. Um, you know, what's that about? And he's like, well, the umpires are improving, you know, and mm. the pitchers have more command at every level. And so, you know, there's just, uh, it's a little bit more obvious what to do. And that, that reminds me of what Matt Mervis said at the Arizona fall league. He said that uh, sometimes he'll look at the lineup sheet tonight, see who the umpire is and know he has to swing. And I, in fact told Barger that, that anecdote and he laughed and, and he said, yeah, that's about it. So um, I think he probably has a pretty good natural eye and he wanted to establish his power and show everybody in the organization what his power is like. And the last bit that I have on him is that uh, he wasn't necessarily untouchable, but he wasn't really available in uh, in trade talks last year. So mm-hmm. this is someone I think that internally the Blue Jays have circled. And I think with the sort of Whit Merrifield, uh, Santiago Espinal situation at second, that's where I think opportunity lies for Barger this year. Because Espinal is fine, but he's also a righty that has played better against lefties, which, I mean, duh, that's how platoon splits work. But, you know, against uh, against righties, he has a 91 WRC+. Plus, and his defense is okay, it's good, but it's not so standout. Anyway, long story short, I think that Espinal could be headed towards short side platoon slash utility duty. And Whit Merrifield is is just one of these players that um, it's not. He's thirty four years old. Uh, he's declining ability at the plate, um, and he also plays the outfield. So there's a there's a there's a couple situations there where maybe where Merrifield is needed in center, where they have Kevin Kiermeyer and Dalton Varsho, you know, or you know, in left where it's Varsho and Merrifield, you know. So like. He, what if Merrifield is needed in the outfield? Espinal is playing to utility level. Barger, Barger or Christian Encarnacion Strand? Which would you rather take? The Who comes up line? first? Yeah, I think that the the pathway is clearer for Barger. Okay, that would be the best. But the team is also better. Man, I'm such a waffler. You're waffling a little bit. I'm waffling. I'm waffling. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with Barger. You know why? Because I think the Reds have a lot more sorting to do. They're going to try all those guys, and that might take time. Whereas the Jays, you know, it might become really obvious quickly that they want Espinal to be utility and Merrifield in the outfield. See, it's interesting because I think the path is a lot clearer with the Reds right now. But to your yeah. point, they're experimenting with a lot of things. If he can crack that, if Barger can crack that with the Blue Jays, it really opens up. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. Another Blue Jay note just to throw out there. We talked about him recently. Ricky Tiedemann was one of those players we were thinking could potentially break camp. He had uh, had a little bit of a injury setback, um, but he recently, I, th- I think it's in spring, three innings, four strikeouts, but he continues to throw. He's scheduled to throw a side session, which will be his second after he was shut down with that shoulder soreness. If people are wondering what's going on with him, not, you know, this isn't like in the optioned area, but this is just another piece. All right. One other guy. Well, I did talk to him too. Okay. Um, and I, I don't know, uh, I don't know what's super interesting here, but it is interesting generally that, that Velo, um, has, has been good for him. And he said that he actually gets more ride. He has this, one of these weird, uh, arm slots where he's out to the side, but he gets decent ride, which is why stuff plus loves him, why people love him. And he said that he actually with more Velo comes more ride. So, um, that's, that could be, I could, you could read that either way. I mean, that, that's what do you lose to some Velo? Does he lose ride and become, you know, much less interesting overall? Um, the Blue Jays do not have a great track record with uh, creating Velo with their, with their younger guys. Tiedemann is the one standout there. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I, I am excited about him though, because in terms of stuff, plus that sort of low arm slot with ride is something that really befuddles hitters and uh that could be uh, he could be a really exciting guy that hits the ground running and the blue jays obviously need him nate pearson is going to be a two-inning guy this year um and so nate pearson shouldn't necessarily be on that starting pitcher depth chart so what you've got behind you say kikuchi who has shown zero command of his fastball this spring uh from my eye and from the numbers uh behind him you got mitch white who is i think a high floor but low ceiling type pitcher and then you've got Ricky Tiedemann. So until Ryu is healthy, uh, if there's any injury uh, plus Kikuchi uh, regression, uh, Tiedemann could be up pretty quickly. Be interesting too. I think Ryu said July is the time. It'd be fascinating to see Pearson and Tiedemann do kind of like a piggyback together and be, be become one starter. You two become one starter. Maybe Pearson pitches the first two innings as an opener, and then Tiedemann comes in and pitches the next five or whatnot, and then you put it over to the bullpen. Interesting experiment if they do it, but he's got to get past the shoulder soreness, um, which is you know a death sentence sometimes, or at least it's a big uh, hold-our-breath moment for starting yeah. pitchers. Exactly. Um, the other last one in the option, but not counted out, and then we got some camp surprises we're going to burn through, was Kyle Manzardo. Um, I don't know how much. I felt like the fantasy community had really pushed Manzardo up more but he had a really good spring hit 333 two homers nine rbi in 27 at bats we never saw it come to but he told me um about a couple months ago or whatever it was that they had also asked him to pick up a third base glove which told me he was never going to break camp and this is never going to be a thing 
but I haven't seen him do it. And I don't know if he did it on any backfields. I'd be very curious to see if he does it in the spring um, option, but not counted out is Kyle Manzardo a better option than Encarnacion Strand and Barger, or is he the furthest away from this group that was just recently optioned? I think he's the furthest away. I mean, all the stuff that we talked about with, uh, you know, controlling a roster and, you know, not losing anything off the roster. The Rays are like hyper-focused on that. You know, they do not want to lose any source of value off their prospect. They, they probably agonize over every release for, they've seen it, coming for 14 months you know what i mean like they've got a guy circled on this roster they don't want to release that they're afraid of releasing that they don't want to release until they really really have to i don't know who it is but they're trying so hard if it maybe it's vidal brujan right and they're going to give vidal brujan as many chances as they can before they give up that roster spot and give up that potential because they would hate to see vidal brujan get picked up by some it's just an example but for example Luke Rayleigh is making this raised team because he's out of options, not necessarily because Kyle Manzotter was worse than him. <laughs> um, and so once you have Rayleigh on that roster, if Rayleigh, who was having a pretty good spring, if Rayleigh just shows his worth, then they're going to say, we, we've created some value. We have a guy on our roster that we now control for so many years. And, oh, he plays first base. And, Oh, Manzardo plays there. So, oh, well, get that third base glove, Manzardo, and <laughs> yeah, and show your show your ability to move around the dime. So, um, yes, there are some uh, like Vidal Bruhan has not really shown the power that it requires to be an everyday regular. I think, and uh, everyone talks about Jonathan Aranda's uh, bricks for gloves. <laughs> Um, Paredes himself does not have the a sterling, uh, re- defensive represent, uh, you know, uh, defensive reputation. Yeah. yeah. So there are, uh, ways that this can sort out, but it's not like Manzardo is, is going to play better defense at third than Paredes. And right. I doubt yeah. it. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, Manzardo is better athletically than people are giving him credit for. Like he said, he had told me that they wanted to really draft him as a second baseman. And they're like, uh-huh. but um, we'll have to see how it goes. Him Manzardo himself said that he didn't think it was going to become anything. Not that he couldn't do it. He just didn't think it would become anything. But I also think it shows more of the long-term plan. But he did succeed again and he did keep rolling, which was a really good spring. And of there's probably guys, an opening at DH because Harold. Okay. Harold Ramirez is probably actually the guy they have circled. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And Manzardo's that bat is up. Yeah, it does. It does. Harold Ramirez is the guy. And because Harold Ramirez is the guy that they claimed. And, and so Ramirez had like a bit of a resurgence with the Rays where, you know, he had his best season with them. Uh, he'd been below average with the bat and below average defensively with everybody else. He'd been replacement, below replacement until he got to Tampa. Yeah. And in Tampa, it was almost all Babbitt fueled. I, you know, I'm sure if I really poke under the hood, I can see some sort of selection, you know, difference or, uh, oh, he hit more line drives, but line drives are not very sticky year to year. Uh, he pulled more balls. Maybe they gave him the same approach they gave Paredes where they said, just fa- just look at high and tight and pull those balls and, and you'll do much better. He's a borderline guy. I mean, he was a one-win guy last year and he's projected for less than a win this year. And one-win guys 
don't keep Kyle Manzardo's down. So if Hal Ramirez is struggling, I could see Manzardo coming up. But I also just think they slow play guys. Just remember how they slow played Nate Lowe forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Now, option playing in spring is a little indifferent. So don't get like caught up on this because this next section is just about guys that are still in camp. But know that any given day they can, you know, call a guy up to play in a spring training game and stuff like that. And that happens from time to time. But these are some real big surprises in camp that have been hanging around, getting a lot of playing time. First up was Gavin Stone, who pitched the other day. And he looked phenomenal. Changeup was on point. I believe he had eight strikeouts in three innings pitched so far. He has 14 strikeouts in six and two-thirds inning uh, pitch so far. No runs and a one whip. He has maybe had the best pitching spring of anybody and he kind of has been an afterthought because he's a Dodger. And how much room do they actually have with anybody? Because they also have a guy in Bobby Miller. And he's still hanging around. And he just, you know, like I said, pitched three innings in a game. I believe it was yesterday as we're recording this. So hanging around, Gavin Stone. What do we have out of Gavin Stone right now for you? Yeah, I think the WBC is throwing a wrench into some of these names that we're going to talk about. Maybe just because Julio Urias is out of town for the WBC or was um, maybe just because Tony Gonsolin's got the ankle injury, maybe that's the only reason why Gavin Stone is around. But I, I enjoy this because I think it shows something that I believe, which is I have Gavin Stone ahead of Michael Grove and Bobby Miller. And uh, I like him better than Ryan Pepio too. So I don't know if I have him ahead of Pepio um, because Pepio has been working on changing his pitching mix to improve his command. And that is a way you can improve your command. Um, you know, so I could see Pepio uh, still being the number six starter. But I think for me personally, Gavin Stone is the seventh starter and he has as much upside, maybe more than any of Pepio, uh, Grove and Bobby Miller. So I'm glad that he's been shoving. I think that this is proving uh, sort of what my bias is, that that he's the best of the four. Yeah, and he seems like, I mean, also, I mean, just the way that that, change up was dipping that he was complimenting with the fastball i was actually trying to pull up see if i could find it real quick it really have nice it. Up. yeah i mean the, the change up looked like absolutely on point what are those spring starts that you go back to and uh, you're i think just, it's a splitter but yeah i mean whatever same thing yeah and i think they were just calling it that but an interesting thing too is i saw multiple people there's this big uptrend in um in twitter yesterday about like who the next spencer strider was and people were throwing out names brandon fought with someone that got thrown out but gavin stone was one I of I mean, those it's Hunter that... Green. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I think what they were talking about, though, was the... I mean, you're talking about fastball slider to 50-50 and... No, they were talking are... about obscurity of, like, a uh, guy that you can, didn't up, quite know where they were. Yeah, and then just explodes on the scene. I think it was Scott White at CBS was kind of um, anointing. Maybe it was uh, Gavin Stone was out there. I thought that was an interesting context because... I don't know if Stone, like Spencer Strider definitely was a little bit more of like, ooh, is he going to be a reliever? And I don't know that guys like Gavin Stone or Brandon fought or in Pepeo that, could do that. Pepeo could Pepeo, do that. Pepeo's a good one. That's a really good one. Because he, he actually everyone says he should be a reliever. But if if this command improvement sticks, he could definitely be a starter. And he has he has good stuff. So Okay, uh, Bryce Miller is another one who I'm obviously just a huge, huge fan of. Bryce Miller. He's a Mariner, right? Mariner, two ERA, nine strikeouts in nine innings. He's a guy I talked to in very early spring that said he adjusted his slider into two parts where he now throws two sliders. One's a sweeper, one's a gyro. It's a oh, it's, it's sweeping the nation. The trend is sweeping the nation. That's what Drew Rasmussen is doing. It's yep. yeah. 
Yeah, and that's what he said. That was how what he said to me is uh because I said, Oh, because he had just struck out Tom Murphy and and I was like, That's a crazy slider. And he's like, It's actually throwing two now. And he said that was the trend. He said it's actually what a lot of guys are doing right now, and that was his adjustment. And the I told gyro you, gives you something you can command against opposite handed guys, the sweeper gives you something that you can and get same handed guys out with. What was interesting though, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks back, so apologies to anyone hearing it, was he told me the opposite is he felt he could command his sweeper and he didn't have the command of the gyro yet. So I thought that that's, was really fascinating. That's interesting because that the, the the generally you would say you can't move you can't command the pitch with uh more movement and you can command the pitch with less movement. That's and, just a general and, thing. They're interviewed about him and they Skazaris essentially acknowledge he's a starting pitcher. Like this is his role. He they don't see him in the bullpen because they believe his stuff. They're very impressed. His stuff is a starting pitcher, a little bit of an older guy. The question is, is like, where is there room in this rotation and how can he get there? But he's, you know, he's still kicking around and there's still this little thought process that he could break camp. So any thoughts on Bryce Miller? Oh, really? There's some thought. I mean, he's still around. That is interesting. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm circling Marco Gonzalez's name. How, what are his numbers this spring? Ooh. Um, oh, Marco Gonzalez <laughs> was worth 0.1 war last year. Is that a guy you put Do, in? This you know thing? that, you know that oof, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The oof. Is, the it, is that like a soccer oof. coach or something? <laughs> yeah. That's actually one of, that's like a top five of all of them. Yeah. That's what the this was. Meter is okay. So, so what team gives up on their, their point, their uh, fractional uh, replacement level pitcher first diamondbacks, Madison or Mariners with Marco Mariners, because they have to win this year. Also, uh, they have a club option. I doubt they're actually gonna they're gonna do that. What um, Marco? Yeah, they have a seven point, but seven point five million is not a lot. Uh, but I think you could convert Marco to a, a six starter who's on the roster. You know what I mean? That that can come in. Yeah. I don't think it's gonna happen right away. I think I you break think camp with Marco Gonzalez as your five, and if there's an injury, maybe Miller hops up against uh, uh, up on top of Flexen. Flexen's stuff played up in the bullpen, and I think he actually could be their next Eric Swanson. Um, and so, you know, you've got how many good starting pitchers, like how many mediocre bad starting pitchers that were young that converted over to relief became great. You know, it's like I think it's that's the, that's the similarity for me for for Swanson and flex and um and so if he hops over flex and he's the number six starter probably probably yeah he's probably ahead of emerson hancock because he's still in in camp so there's no doubt i think they hold him uh, in camp until they break camp if there's no injuries mark gonzalez is number five if mark gonzalez pitches more like he did last year and less like his one win projection uh which comes from the bat and is the only one that's over one win if he pitches to that number, then maybe uh, they keep him. If he pitches uh, much worse, it is weird. It is maybe War is not capturing something with him because Mark Gonzalez has basically had a four ERA now for five straight years, and uh, he went in those five years from being a three WAR pitcher to being a zero WAR pitcher. Hmm. Uh, so that's an interesting thing where you're just looking at the war and looking at the ERA and something is amiss. But I wonder if there's anyone else like that. That sounds like that sounds like something your smart brain would be able to make a great well, article out of. I mean, I, I, other guys. just looking, I can see that like he's been giving up more homers, uh, but less balls in play. And so the projection systems see that and say, well, the balls in play are going to be 
you know, go to 300 and the, and the homers are going to stay high. So that's, that's why basically nobody, no projection system likes him. But if he, if he's figured out something where he can have like a 250, 260 Babbitt and, and one and a half homers per nine, then he might have a four ERA again. Uh, one other note on Bryce Miller, 2021, he pitched nine innings this past year. They pushed him to 133 innings. He pitched across three levels. He did only get to double a, which is something to consider with them pushing. But I do believe he is. I bet you he's, up. he spends a month uh, pitching three and four innings. You know, uh, spends the first month of the season pitching like three or four innings to start and then then has a five inning start like first week of May and he's up in May. That would be interesting. Be on the lookout for that. One last guy on this, and then I'm just to throw a couple little burners at you. Uh, you and I were talking about this off air. Ben Joyce with a lot of the Angels. Ben Joyce is fascinating. If you guys have paid attention to him, he was drafted in last year's draft class. He would be a first year, uh, an FYPD, if you will. Five innings pitched, six strikeouts, no earned runs given up. And he's famously known as the guy that hit 104 at Tennessee last year. And the Angels overall are really weird with what they've been doing. But this is a guy that is still sitting in camp, is a relief-only arm, who is probably one of the biggest power fastballs in baseball, has had a fantastic spring. Does Ben Joyce break camp with the Angels? Yes. Boom. Yes. Is he the closer? Is he the closer? Let's go next level. Is he the closer, Eno? No, not right away. Uh, I mean, you're you're asking a lot of a guy who just has a handful of double-A innings um, to just step in and take a job from a guy they signed to be the closer, gave him major league money. Um, But I do think by the end of the season, Joyce could be the closer. One thing that I don't know... Uh, off offhand we're we're thinking about a- altitude adjusting stuff plus because altitude altitude changes the shape of pitches and so Estevez could have had a better stuff plus uh than he did and so you know when we look at um something like my pitcher ranks and the and the projections that we got through stuff you know through stuff plus so PPERA time we look at Estevez uh, through that lens it says a 428 ERA, but what if his stuff plus number has been affected by altitude and is not the correct number? Uh, because this says 104. What if he's actually a 108 guy or a 110? Uh, that would get that ERA under four. Either way, we might be talking about, oh, he actually should have a 3.9 ERA projection. That seems gettable. So mm-hmm. I've been looking for somebody in this bullpen that I could, uh, in early drafts, I had Zach Weiss, who had the best stuff plus in the bullpen last year. He's still a possibility. I don't think uh, Aaron Loop, the lefty, or Quijada, uh, I don't think either of those guys really have uh, the closer stuff that I'm looking for. Ben Joyce has it. So uh, I'm going to put him ahead of Zach Weiss as the number one sleeper in this bullpen. And I think he makes the team because this team is, you know, there, it's all hands on deck time. And you had a little nugget about some other player in their minor league system, but just let me put it this way. And then you've got supporting evidence. That's even better than Ben Joyce. This team needs to win. Mike Trout, Mike Trout may hit 60 homers this year because he says, I need to convince Shohei Otani to stay here. So Mike Trout may have an amazing season. And if Mike Trout feels that way, then you know his general manager feels that way, where he's like, if you are shoving in camp, I need you. Uh, and that's probably goes up and down the organization. So what was the example you had? 
Well, the one was uh, Zach Neto, Neto, however you want to say, I'd say Neto, uh, was their number one draft pick in this class. And they pushed him straight to double A. They went to double A, like out of all of the shoot. And over on the backfields, he's already with the triple A team. Uh, he played against the triple A Diamondbacks on the minor league game. They need a shortstop. His bat is live and they are already pushing him. So if you're going to start out the year at triple A, there's something about the Angels development that hasn't been working. And they might just be pushing these guys. These are two guys out of this draft class that are ready to go. They're both college, uh, you know, college arm, college bat that are in there. But why waste them if you were trying to convince Otani to stay or you're trying to win this year? (laughs) Yeah, get your guys there. So I think Ben Joyce is a really fascinating one and be on the lookout for him because he has not left. Um, Just throwing out some other guys were uh, Heston Kerstad, who I really like, hitting 400, four homers so far in spring. Why do you think he's still in camp? Uh, I think it's at bats. I, I think mainly he missed so much time. They just, but... And they just want to see him against top of bats. Top. I mean, they, they that's why they had him in the fall league. I mean, he he really stood out in the fall league, didn't he? MVP. Wasn't he the runner up in the in the in the home run derby? Yeah, and he won the MVP of the AFL as well. So. Yeah, I mean, he was he looked amazing down there, and they're working him at first in spring as well, so they're giving him some more flexibility. But yeah, really? it is interesting because yeah, they're not um, they don't have guys. I don't think missing a whole bunch of Santander, but like outside of that, who's missing from them? And he's still sitting around. He just hit a homer, I think, yesterday. So cursed. They're somebody. actually going to start getting crowded, dude. I mean, they already uh, are. Maybe they're going to trade Norby. Santander or or Hayes. Because there's Stowers and Cowser are already, Colton Cowser are already coming up after them. And then you want to probably play Kerstad in the outfield unless they're going to trade Mountcastle. I wonder if they will trade a bat soon. Well, getting him, get, um, there seems to be a bat. They're, they're, keeping they're getting here. loaded. Dude, buy Orioles futures. Oh, absolutely. Westberg, Norby. Um, I mean, obviously Gunner is out there. The pitching, they, they are. I, I like Gunner up. better than some people on the, I think Gunner did everything you asked from him. And I, I think he could be a shortstop, but is Westberg a better defensive shortstop? Um, I think, I think a Joey Ortiz bit, too. Yeah. He played with Justin Foscu and he, yeah, I, I think they view him as a little bit better, but that infield could be, you know, Norby Westberg. Uh, they've also, they just had a great, great draft class, Judd Fabian. They picked up Dylan Beavers at Oregon state. They, they are Baltimore futures are looking very, very good. Um, two other hitters, Zach Veen still around in camp 271. He has now eight stolen bases. I know you don't like him as I much. That was a pre pro far thing. I think uh, that's another one that pro far just shot in the foot. Yep. A hundred percent. And uh, I, Briefly brought him up, Justin Durden with the uh, Astros. We were talking about Hensley at second base, but Justin Durden, a little bit of an older guy at AAA, is still a- sitting around there. And with like Brantley maybe going on an IL stint or whatever, uh, 350, two homers, a stolen base, and a seven for 20 in camp and might be a sneaky guy that is going to break camp with this team. Someone that no one's looking at, but he is still floating around. And I'm trying to think of who they're missing right now. I just don't know who this they're... is. His make or break year two. He's rule five eligible this December. Yeah, I think so... it's 26. I think 25 or 26. So this is yeah. like, you know, are you quad? This is very Christian Walker to me ish, like a very older guy who's been sitting around who needs to make that push. And he's going to get an opportunity that might be uh, a very, very. They're going to use all three of his options this year. Is my pr- my pr- uh, prediction? He's going to be a guy who's up and down. Olivar, he'll be the Olivares. Uh, last thing was, I just thought this was interesting. Uh, Jackson Merrill, who I believe was just sent down, had eight hits in spring. Bob Melvin said that he's going to be a quick mover. He said, "Where 
here at what point in time? I don't know. We got a lot of guys covering the infield positions, but when you're that good, you find a way. So I expect him to really uh, quick, it'd be a quick move. Yeah, a lot of people have him circled as a big mover on prospect list. Had he already moved on prospect list? Yeah, he'd made a big move this offseason. He was the youngest guy in the AFL. He looked phenomenal. I mean, uh, I have a show, my prospect one show. I just did bold predictions. Someone came on. I'm trying to remember who. Well, I think it was, uh, it might have been James Anderson said that he'll be the number one prospect by season's end in baseball. Wow. It would be Jackson Merrill. Uh, so that's a big one. Jackson Merrill moving up, but he might not make it because there might be major league time coming. So, you know, that is Project Prospect talking all the guys, lots of stuff, and it's going to get even more interesting as the season goes on. Make sure you guys check us out over at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels so you can sign up, get access to everything that they've got going on, get in on the app, get in on the articles, get in on the rankings and the draft kit so you can prep for this final weekend because, uh, you know, you have, uh, is it the main event on Sunday? I'm Saturday? not going to say. So, oh, okay. It's there's a draft. That might be a, I don't know when it's happening. There are drafts. There's big drafts that are coming up that maybe we'll. And I have a co-owner, so you can't find me. Okay, good. We don't know. We don't know when it'll be. There's one that's happening. So big drafts, but make sure you're prepped. You know, doesn't need to be because he, he he's doing the draft prep. So yeah. that's gonna do it. Find me on Twitter, is it the Welsh? Find Eno at Eno Saris, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Racing Barrels, my friends. Thanks for listening. Thank you.